0: Welcome to Be Customer Led, where we'll explore how leading experts in customer and employee experience are navigating organizations through their own journey to be customer led and the actions and behaviors employees and businesses exhibit to get there. And now, your host, Bill (laughs) Stakos.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Be Customer-Led. I'm your host, Bill Stakos. I've got a really special guest for us this week. Manish Gohl is founder and CEO of a company called Trustphere. They're a growth stage company pioneering work in relationship analytics in digital ONA. And we're going to talk about what that acronym means in just a minute, but I'll keep you guys in suspense for now. Manish and I have known each other for a little while, almost two years now, right? Manish, and one, welcome to the show. I'm so excited Thank to you. have you on. I'm really Thank excited you. to have you on.
2: Likewise. Um, great. He
1: here? And, and Manish is one of the smartest guys I've ever met. And the work that he's doing is so cool. I can't wait to talk about it. And this is the type of work that you guys are going to listen to this and say, we really need this in our company if we're not doing it today. So Manish, I ask every guest, tell us about your journey. What differentiated things in your career and led to Trustfair?
2: Oh Thanks, Bill. Again, thank you very much for having me on the show. Look, my, my, journey, my career journey is an interesting one. It's, uh, it started out in consulting, went through to venture capital, and I became effectively the, almost what I'd call the accidental CEO of Trustfair. Uh, I've had the opportunity of sort of working right around the world, so traveling quite a lot and working with different cultures. So for me, the, the journey has been really, really interesting, but lots of people, lots of places and lots of different experiences all coming together, in, all coming together to, to help us really understand or help me understand how to bring this important piece of technology around relationship analytics out to
1: market. So, so that's awesome. And tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing through TrustSphere. Some of our listeners may not have heard of the company. Or some of our listeners may not have heard of relationship analytics and what that means, because... There's really interesting work, particularly around diversity, equity, and inclusion, particularly around sales, uh, workplace performance. I mean, there's really a lot of different avenues. So talk to us a little bit about the, uh, the company and, and what you guys are doing with clients.
2: Well, if, you, if you look at what we're doing at Trustfair, if you think about the invisible networks that underpin an organization, mm-hmm. what we're doing is understanding what those digital, what those what those invisible networks look like, but using digital communications as a way of being able to gather that information. So at a really high level, if you think about it, the the whole thing, it's not what, it's who. Mm -hmm. We think it's not only what, but also who. thats really important to understand for, for employee success and for organizational success. To a large extent, what we're doing is understanding from the digital communication flows that exist in an organization, who's connected to who, how well they're connected, what that connectivity looks like both within the organization and outside the organization. And I mentioned earlier on that my, I, I traveled a lot in my life. If you think about this and at, at that most macro level, you think about when you're flying at 30,000 feet, you can look down on and You look down as you're flying, you can see the, the, the You look at the roads and the rivers and see the how plots different. Of wind, yeah. Plots of land, how different towns, how different cities and how metros are all connected. That's really what we're doing for an enterprise. So if you think about this at the highest level, we're understanding mm-hmm. the digital flows of communication. We're not analyzing content. We're not analyzing subject lines. We're just looking at the flows of, con- uh, the flows of communication, but mm-hmm. using that to understand effectively a, a digital MRI, if you will, or a, an enterprise MRI of an organization and the networks that exist.
1: And how has that evolved for you and fear over the last even five years, Manish, because thinking about sort of the advance and our ability to do different analytics, the advances in digital communication and the digital exhaust we can get off of our PCs, right? I mean, Microsoft is really big in this. Tell us a little bit about that evolution for you all and how has that maybe changed the way that your ability to analyze and, and deliver and create value has, yeah. has, has, has transformed?
2: I think particularly since COVID, what's happened is I think the digital signals have become that much richer. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at this, basically everything we do these days is on a digital platform of some Mm -hmm. sort. At our end, being able to, the richness of the the telemetry that we have access to now Mm -hmm. has allowed us to really start to transform the way that we're bringing our insights back to customers. But our journey, we started in the security, it's funny enough, we started in the security space, in the network security space. And we were trying to protect, we were helping organizations protect their their perimeters. What we realized early on was actually the, the networks that we, were, that we were protecting, we were building networks of trust, if you will, mm. so trusted mm. networks. But those trusted networks could be used to help change the way sales teams work, deal teams work, as well as, the way of, as well as being able to understand from an employee experience perspective, how do you actually make, help individuals and teams become smarter at the way they collaborate. So we've watched a journey over the last number of years the other thing i will say is i mean i think that from a privacy and an ethics perspective it's been it's become there's an increasing level of awareness around the the value of the data streams but also mm-hmm. the responsibility that comes with how you actually first of all use or analyze these data mm-hmm. streams but then protect and secure the data streams i mean it's a, it's a very rich source of data
1: so tell us a little bit about some of the more fundamental i want to dig in now cuz let's talk about like one or two just basic use cases that you see a lot of your clients thinking about and applying the work that your company is doing? Yeah.
2: I mean, our, our use cases break into two. They, they break into CX-oriented mm-hmm. work and EX-oriented work. So we're mm-hmm. looking at both the internal and the external networks. Mm-hmm. From an internal network perspective, we're looking at things like D, uh, diversity and inclusion. Diversity mm-hmm. is relatively easy to measure. Inclusiveness it, it, or inclusion is much more difficult to measure. and mm-hmm. Networks give you a very interesting lens on inclusion. We're looking at leadership. We've been doing working with, uh, with a large pharmaceutical company, specifically looking at how leadership networks correlate to performance. So leaders' performance is a very strong correlation with cross-functional Collaboration and leadership and performance organizationally. Also looking at transformation, so post merger integration, working with clients to understand whether organizations, how organizations are integrating and how they're not integrating, or where they're not integrating and operating in silos, for example.
1: Let's talk about the. Lead. Let's just talk about those for for a minute or two. So maybe we start with your point around diversity is easy to measure, inclusion is more difficult to measure. So I'm a. Late 40s white male. I'm about as least diverse as you could possibly get, right? How do you start to measure inclusiveness or think about measuring inclusiveness in an organization if you were looking at maybe my data or even this interaction?
2: Well, first of all, combining it with engagement surveys is very important. So combining it using contextual data is very important. But from our side, what we start to understand is if you think about about networks – are you part of the, the periphery? Are you, are you sitting in the center of the network or are you remaining at the periphery? There's a number of, there's a variety of different metrics that we can give you around eigenvector centrality and the rest, which I won't geek out on right now. But there's ways of, <laughs> there's, there's ways of measuring someone's both levels of influence that they have in the organization, mm-hmm. where they sit within the graph. And if you're starting to see populations where a lot of, let's call it the underrepresented minorities happen to be at the periphery of the graph, Yet, and yet the, the, the main population happens to be at the center of the graph. You recognize that formal power and informal power yeah. are dispersed. And right. we've done a lot of work specifically around promotability. We looked at female promotability in particular. And what we found that is that female promotability is highly correlated to upper hierarchy relationships. And so being able to, to be, being able to measure that and make it visceral for individuals to better understand where the gaps are in their network structures you will is a very important way of being able to coach in our case it's been coaching females Mm -hmm. but underrepresented minorities from being able to to get promoted and become more representative
1: so i love that i mean there's so much conversation as right around having sponsors uh, at senior levels for female or underrepresented underrepresented minorities etc but actually having the data to be able to prove that right very specifically is so incredible
2: and, and that's it. I think everyone knows people's. Uh, everyone knows they have a network, and folks have networks, and how connected they are. But a lot of that's yeah. intuitive, and it's it's yeah. sort of instinctive. By being able to have the data that shows this, and it shows it empirically, it's like a Fitbit in some ways. What it does <laughs> by measuring that, it allows different people to have a common language around what that connectivity looks like. But secondly, measure that on a real time basis, or at least measure it. Periodically to see whether there's changes in those network structures and how they actually correlate to other outcome variables yeah. like promotability or performance or or anything else.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I know eating healthy is good for me, but it's until I get my cholesterol score right that you Spot
2: really on. know is it
1: working or not.
2: And your doctor being able to see what that cholesterol mm-hmm. score is and say, "Hey, Bill, you know what? You got to get you got to give it keep away from those chocolates, sir." <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> and the leadership piece is interesting, I and mean, we. By the way, for our listeners, Manish and I have geeked out on this stuff more than a couple of times. And I just, I always come away learning so much more when we, when we chat, Manish. Talk to us about the leadership network component, not only internally, but also maybe externally too. What things have you seen there? Like what's really important?
2: Well, there's a couple of things that are really interesting. I'll give you one use case. I mean, we, we so first of all, I think, again, going back to what I'd said earlier, it's not what, but who. I think that mm. the networks that the individual leaders have, what we found across the board with our Fortune 100 clients. Is generally speaking, the greater in, the greater the network, the bigger the networks that individuals have, the more the, from a performance perspective, the greater their performance generally. Mm. Can I can I cut that and st- do that one again? Can we start Yeah, let's go
1: back. Absolutely. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. No, no, no worries. Just okay. So we'll I'll just here's a note for the editor. Keep my question. Manish is going to start from the top.
2: Do you mind asking the question again just as a prompt?
1: Yeah, sure. We'll go back and ask. So Manish, let's talk about the leadership. Component and what have you found there that's really interesting in terms of size of network or maybe even speed of growth? I mean, velocity, if you're new in an organization, I mean, what, what kind of interesting stuff are you uncovering there?
2: Yeah, there's a couple of really interesting use cases there, Bill. I mean, the first one's around new hires, and what we've, what we've seen consistently with our clients is those new hires that tend to become immersed into the network more quickly tend mm. to stay longer and perform better. Part of our mission is to help individual new hires become immersed more quickly and recognize where they're not becoming immersed Mm. and allow their uh, allow their managers or their coaches to help them become more immersed where they're struggling to to do so from a leadership perspective what we've also found is that leaders with stronger networks and more diverse networks and broader networks stronger networks and more diverse networks Mm -hmm. tend to outperform in particular around cross-functional collaboration and so
1: yeah. I was going to say, how are you delivering that? So let's just say I'm a new leader at a company. I just joined Medallia nine, 10 months ago. Are you delivering data upfront so that when a new leader comes in, they can create the right onboarding? Here are sort of the power circles within the business, make sure that new leaders are meeting with these people and engaging? Or, like, or, or how, how do you guys approach the, those recommendations?
2: Yeah, similar along those lines. I mean, what you do is you sit down first up and have a plan, and here are the people mm-hmm. or here are the departments that you need to be connected with. What we do, because we're, because we're looking at the digital communication flows on a real time basis, what we can start to see is where you are making levels, uh, where the new hire is actually connecting, and where they're right. not connecting, and that allows you to periodically and empirically say, okay, if you're not connecting, we need to put some more effort into connecting you to these people. If you're getting level of entrenchment, and if you're if you happen to be in sales and you want to, you're supposed to be building relationships in finance. If you're not building those relationships in finance, then your manager or, your, or someone who's working with you can start to make those introductions to ensure that you've got that connectivity into those different departments. It's, those pathways and building those pathways is incredibly important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I've always tried to do in my 90-day plan, and I even did this at Medallia, is I met in the first three months within that 90-day plan, I committed to meeting and speaking with 100 people across the organization. Yeah. yeah. And that I think has had profound impact, and I've tr- I tried to do that at every organization and maintain those relationships and keep those. Obviously, you want to you can't meet with everybody all the time, but at least you can start to identify who are the ones that are going to be critical to my success. Purely from they are sort of the power brokers in the organization. Others, these are me, folks who are gonna be critical to my success because I need them to hit my objectives, etc. But really, defining that kind of stakeholder map. And I love the data, the data backing up that kind of philosophy and that thinking. What are some of the more sort of cutting edge or even further out there on the curve or the fringe? You mentioned you, you had CX and EX sort of focus. Can you talk to me maybe a little bit about like how do you drive CX or customer experience with organizational or relationship analytics talk to us a little bit about that about that well
2: I mean, first of all i think that cx and ex I mean being able to understand and blend the two sets of data is incredibly powerful if you think about this in the context of a b2b sales organization as an example what we typically see in an organization if you look at the crm is you see an individual uh, one individual who's probably the relationship manager who's dealing with the, with the client right so what you're seeing is that's the connectivity point in reality, actually, there's a, huge, there's a number of people who are hidden within the organization, the selling organization, that are involved with this particular client. Mm. And on the client side, there's a number of people who are the influencers or part of that buyer network who, are the, who probably don't necessarily appear in the, either in the CRM or don't appear. It's very difficult to see who they are. From an EXCX perspective, what some of our more cutting-edge clients are starting to see is that any changes that occur even on the EX side, Mm-hmm. actually have an impact on the cx side around retention around levels of engagement so mm-hmm. we're working with a large bank and what they found was that you know when when the relationship manager was looking at leaving or potentially leaving that would first of all that would have a big impact from a churn perspective on their customers but mm-hmm. what got really interesting was you could start to see changes in their network behaviors internally which gave you an indication that they were potentially looking at leaving Mm-hmm. Uh, what that allowed the allowed the leaders to do is make sure that there wasn't any gaps or vulnerabilities when it came to being able to to have coverage over the customer accounts such that you could actually bring the right people in to take over the accounts or at least protect the customer experience if that particular RM was going to leave
1: that's fascinating so that's not even saying, hey well you had mentioned at the top of the the show we're not reading your emails yeah. or listening to those calls or whatever that is It's really more about how you are interacting digitally? Are you you might see, and I just want to be clear: Are you seeing, hey, Bill's now emailing these folks in a different way, or the the distribution of connection is different here? Right?
2: It's a little bit of both. It's about activity it. on top of the networks that you have. I mean, Got what it. we've done what we've found through our work is that people tend to build up a cadence and, and it's a general cadence of communication. Mm-hmm. And they tend to communicate with the same people in the same sort at that mm-hmm. same level of cadence. When you start to see changes in that cadence, you start to see indications and in itself, it's not definitive or it's not deterministic, but when added to other signals, it becomes yeah. an incredibly powerful way of being able to see changes. And
1: how incredibly- are you delivering? Manish, how is trust Fear delivering this level of intelligence? Is it, and, I, and, and forgive me for not knowing this. I'm not sure if we ever talked about this, but is it platform driven? Or are you just delivering the analytics and sort of reporting? Or like, how does that work with mm-hmm. you guys?
2: So it's in both. We do provide reports. So some of the leadership yeah. reports, which are done on a periodic basis, we will deliver on and out as reports, as a sort of PDF reports. But yeah. the real vision about, around what we have and what we've done really successfully, I think, is embed this into other platforms. So for example, if you look at a CRM system, like Sugar mm-hmm. CRM or Salesforce, we've yeah. embedded our analytics into a CRM. And what that means is we become almost contextual data that sits on top of an account record or an in contact record. So we can start to add from the communication flows back into a contextual frame. Same thing with HCM systems. So we're working Mm -hmm. with a number of HCM systems where we're taking our, let's call them ONA scores and metrics and bringing them back into an HCM frame. So combining it with other employee attributes and records, which gives you a sense as to what someone's – l- we like to describe this, and interestingly enough, as everyone talks about IQ and EQ, the metrics that Trustfair is building out is what we call RQ. It's the relationship quotient, and it's the level of the network structures, it's the activity levels on those networks, the breadth, the strength, and the level of influence, as well as the diversity of someone's network.
1: Very cool. And just for, for folks who may not be in as human capital management systems, like a workday or something yeah. like that, oh, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's talk about business outcomes that you're seeing with this work like real whether that's improved revenue retention we just talked about are you using this to to improve maybe revenue and top line growth for organizations or sure. are some using it that way
2: yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, we, if you look at it, there's a couple of different ways. If you look at it tactically, what we're finding with CRM systems, for example, uh, just at a very tactical level for every one relationship that's in the CRM, that we typically find two to three other relationships that have never been entered into CRM. Hmm. And the biggest problem with sales teams is sales, salespeople don't like putting data into the CRM. We <laughs> they capture, don't, I don't, <laughs> don't, don't. I don't know why.
1: I never noticed that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we capture that benignly and passively and, and bring those contacts back in. So if, they, if a salesperson then leaves, you the, at least the relationship, sure the, there's a map of that relationship in a record of that relationship in the CRM system. So tactically, that's one. Uh, what, from an onboarding perspective, we work with a large SaaS company, and what they found was they could actually accelerate time to productivity or time to effectiveness contribution by about mm. 70%. So they can reduce, reduce it by 70% by giving, it was the, around, the, around the onboarding use case that we were talking about earlier. If you give someone a map of the key relationships that they need to build from day one, it means that they're not guessing and not having to work that out themselves. They know where to go and they can start to become more effective at uh, at driving that. So they could, what would typically take three months for a new sales rep to come up to speed could be reduced to less than a
1: month, which was really powerful. Wow. Um, That's incredibly powerful. Oh my gosh. That's, that could be tens of millions in revenue.
2: uh, Absolutely. And and again, it's an incredibly simple, but very powerful way of, empowering the individual and not just that it means that you tend to retain them longer as well
1: all right now i'm going to ask you to really geek out for a minute manish Mm. i
2: beware listeners beware listeners
1: (laughs) (laughs) i am really curious to, to hear from you where you think this work is going over the next let's say three or five years like what's on the horizon for this capability specifically And what maybe are you most energized and jazzed about when you think about that?
2: I think it's about having business in. I think the network signals that we're picking up and the telemetry that we have access to, particularly as people have moved to to digital platforms for Mm. a lot of their collaboration, become incredibly powerful. They're powerful in themselves, but they become even more powerful and become amplified when you combine them with other signals, Mm. whether they're workforce signals from an internal perspective or they're customer signals. Um, a lot of the work that we've done so far is around B2B. It's, it's around B2B teams, the sales teams, and knowledge workers. I think where this goes is we, because we're increasingly using different digital platforms, being able to bring further telemetry into, into this is incredibly valuable. So moving it away from just knowledge workers, but, but also out to field workers, I think there's, a, there's real value in that. Um, the second thing is around predictive. With, uh, there's a lot of work that we've been doing in the labs around machine learning and AI. But I steer back from AI a little bit. I like to think of what we do as being augmentative intelligence mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. But from, an, from a machine learning perspective, being able to correlate set, uh, sets of big, uh, big sets of data together allows you to start to become somewhat predictive or preemptive in terms of understanding where change is occurring. And if mm. you can understand where change is occurring, where issues are arising, uh, you can act, leaders can act ahead of the issue becoming a, big, a, real, a real problem. So they can, they can nip it in the bud. And I think that's where we're taking this. How do we use the network signals that we have as a way of being able to provide that additional telemetry and then that, that proactive telemetry to identify where issues happen to be?
1: So just want to, if I can maybe, first of all, I mean, the ability to peek around corners yeah, is, nice is quickly, is, as much as possible. Obviously, you can't fully peek around corners, but, yeah. but that ability, that predictiveness. So I just want to just kind of maybe bring in a real example. So, Maybe predicting the possibility of a customer churning yep. based on those interactions, whether they've slowed down or not, or how they've changed. Employee churn you mentioned before, which I think is a really powerful one. In terms of that predictive piece, what else do you think might be really interesting as we start to evolve this capability?
2: That's it's interesting. I think we're also what we're fundamentally seeing in terms of future of work is we're all working very differently. And as we're working differently, the question becomes, are we actually going to, it it comes back a little bit to the employee retention piece, but are we going to retain the right people? Are we actually building the right structures to make sure whilst people are working remotely, we're being inclusive and we're still promoting the right Mm -hmm. people? I mean, are we going to start to see different groups of people who aren't necessarily being included when they're working remotely versus those who are coming back into the office where they're building the network structures more, more rapidly? What does that mean for the composition? of the workforce as we move forward. So if you think about this more futuristically, mm. I think the future of work, the, the, the whole hybrid, the, the whole COVID environment, the whole hybrid environment has had a huge impact on the way that we work and collaborate. And what, what's the impact going to be from a network perspective on how
1: we collaborate? I'm curious, Manish, who is typically the buyer of this capability? HR? Is it sales? Is it CX? Is it is it someone else in the organization? Like, Who do you typically work with? I'm curious.
2: Yeah. T- uh, the typical buyer for us, is, it's either sales. So uh, mm-hmm. chief revenue officer and the team under the chief revenue officer, mm-hmm. often around sales excellence. It's the HCM uh, within, the, within the human capital. It's the CHRO. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, it's the head of workforce analytics or people analytics, where Got this it. becomes another piece. And the other incre- increasingly, it's around digital transformation. It's the organization. It's the, the C-level of exec who's being charged with digital transformation. So trying to understand change, how do we identify who the influencers are in the organization? Mm-hmm. Who are the information brokers that I need to bring together to drive the change and, and drive the impact that I'm looking for? So it's those three buying centers.
1: Really, really interesting. All right. I've got two personal questions before mm-hmm. I let you go today. One is who do you look up to in business?
2: I think, in terms of leadership, I think the key leaders. There's a couple of leaders that I really admire in business. One, someone like Stuart Butterfield, I think is doing an incredible job. If you look at what he's doing from building out, diverse, he's in, really building out diverse employee, sort of recruiting diversely and bringing in non-traditional employees. I think he's mm-hmm. really it's out there, it's cutting edge. The other person I think that I really admire is Julie Sweet. I think what Julie Sweet's doing at Accenture is phenomenal in terms mm-hmm. of actually taking a, a services organization and helping to drive digital transformation for right across a variety of different parts of parts of their clients organizations, but also building that diverse, that diverse employee base. I'm very passionate about diversity and inclusion, as you probably can tell. So I think, and I think inclusion is just such an important part of how we can, we as leaders can bring the best out of the people that we, that we work with.
1: I agree a hundred percent. And we've had this conversation. I just, I wish that not at Medallia, but in a previous employer where we first hooked up and, and, and started chatting. I wish that, not that DEI was a, was a slogan or just a talk track. I mean, I, I really do think that the leadership and others in the organization really believed in the importance of it. Mm. I just wish that we were taking a much more data-centric approach to measuring and understanding mm. that performance and, and what we were doing. Were we doing the right things to drive diversity and inclusion mm. in that organization? Yeah.
2: And adding to that, how are we helping those who need help in terms of become, helping 100%. them become more inclusive, you know, helping them become a part of those network structures, which give them what we call the opportunity structures to succeed or to, to, be, to advance in their careers? The, the whole notion of, it, of, diverse, of network structures, people who have, those, who have opportunities, to, who are connected to the right people across the organization, have those promotable opportunities. Mm-hmm. Those who aren't or who remain in the periphery often don't get the promotable client. They don't get the, the right clients to work with. They don't get the right career or the, the right projects to work on. Mm-hmm. So it means that they, they get limited in terms of, of their career progression.
1: Such important work that you're doing, Manish. Final question. Where do you go for inspiration?
2: Uh, teams. I like people. I mean, if you think about what we're doing, it's all about social network analytics and organizational oh. network analytics. I like people. I like the conversations and just, I'm inspired by and energized by ideas that come by talking to people like yourself. So I mean, that's kind of where I go. Generally over a cup of coffee as well, but that's a, that's a separate conversation for you and I. I know that we've had that conversation. <laughs>
1: well, I know. Uh, I think I'm actually going to be in London soon. So I, will let, I would love to, to, to have that coffee with you in person mm-hmm. finally. I am inspired by the, this conversation. Manish, I'm inspired by you every time we talk. I really am. I think the work that you're doing is so incredibly important. And I really do hope for our listeners, if they're not familiar with relationship analytics, ONA, organizational network analytics, please go start looking at it. Manish, where can folks find you if they want to get in touch?
2: Yeah, so, my, so email me or I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn, Manish, M-A-N-I-S-H, Goal, G-O-E-L. So I'm on LinkedIn or you find, find me, obviously, my email address, at trustfair.com. Otherwise, cool. uh, Trustfair's website.
1: Awesome. Well, listen, it's been wonderful to have you on. Great, great show. All right, everybody, we're going to see you next week. We're out. Talk
0: to you soon, Thanks everyone. for listening to Be Customer Led with Bill Stakos. We are grateful to our audience for the gift of their time. Be sure to visit us at BeCustomerLed.com for more episodes. Leave us feedback on how we're doing or tell us what you want to hear more about. Until next time, we're out.